0: Hi friends, this is episode 14 of the Bible Lab podcast.
1: You are listening to the Bible Lab podcast, recorded before a very lively audience
2: on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice.
0: Hey guys, I'm really honored that you would take the time to spend with me and the community to really invest in your spiritual walk. And today you are in for a real treat because very infrequently do people actually go to the depth of asking the difficult questions of does God have boundaries and why and what's this whole obedience thing about and today the community digs into it and doesn't hold back you're gonna love it because we go a little bit back and forth and this is a conversation that you need to wrestle with as well so I hope you're blessed with this Before we go into the session, I just want to remind you that if you haven't yet, definitely connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Definitely go to our website and make sure you're connected with all the resources that we have. We've got new ones coming out all the time. So my prayer is God will completely bathe you with his presence and speak specifically to you, an individual message that he needs you to hear today. As you listen into the conversation, God bless you and welcome to the Bible Lab. Number one, too many boundaries stifle relationships. Too many boundaries stifle relationships. Oh, predominantly, yes. It looks like about ninety percent yes, ten percent no. Okay, so you think too many boundaries stifle relationships, predominantly. Okay, interesting. Number two, when dating, couples should wait two months before talking about pet peeves. When dating, couples should talk. Uh, should wait two months before talking about pet peeves. Whoa, it's the, the exact opposite. It looks like about ninety to ninety-five percent no. And the rest are either yes or I don't know, kind of split, half and half with yes and I don't know. So you think we should talk about pet peeves right away? Here's our challenge. We're going to see that God waited two months to talk about his pet peeves. We're going to see that today. Number three, parents nowadays should teach their children to be more reverent in church. Yes or no? Well, you guys were so fast on that one. Like normally you take a few seconds to, to raise up your card and today it was like, pfft. almost all yes. Uh, a few say no uh, because you sit in the sections where there's no kids probably. Um, <laughs> just my guess. Um, awesome. So uh, predominantly, it looks like about 95% of you say yes. Uh, parents nowadays should teach their children to be more reverent in church. Number four, people love God because he saved them and practice reverence because he can kill them. (laughs) Wow, predominantly no. A few I don't knows. Yeah, it looks like uh, about four or five I don't knows. uh, Mostly no, okay? Number five, parents who continually warn their kids instead of letting children receive the consequences, really annoy me. Yes or no? You're kind of slow on this one, guys. Kind of slow on the draw. Okay, we're a little split here. Predominantly yes. Looks like about 70% yes. A lot of I don't knows and a few no's. All right. So let's talk about that as we step into one more one more leg of the journey into the wilderness, we have to ask this question, why do we have boundaries? Why do we have boundaries in our relationships? First question I want us to wrestle with, so get your comment or question cards ready, because the first question I want us to ponder is, what boundaries have you set up in your relationships? In other words, what do you ask for and what things do you not tolerate? What boundaries have you set up in your relationships? Go ahead and raise your card. We'll bring you a microphone.
3: No requesting me to do anything until I've had my coffee.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh,
0: I won't ask how many yes and no cards here. Uh, People share the same relationship, but I'm sure the spouse would be more more than happy to share. Yes.
5: All right, right here. Boundaries are like individual senses that are flexible. They define who you are, who I am. Without that, there's chaos.
0: Okay. So you say we have to have it. We
5: have to have them. Or or there's there's chaos.
0: Chaos. All right. How about back here?
6: No boundaries. No boundaries. Because I have complete confidence in my relationship. Ah,
0: That's simply because you're married to Betsy. (laughs) She is amazing. She is amazing. All right, who else? Who else? Oh, (laughs) uh, for those of you who couldn't hear, Mike asked, What does Betsy think? Betsy, do you have boundaries (laughs) for Dan? Awesome.
5: All right, right down here. I just started a new job where the parents have no boundaries for their children. Therefore, this teacher has to set the boundaries. We need boundaries.
0: Hmm. Okay, so here's someone that's saying we have to have boundaries because she deals with children that have not learned any boundaries.
4: Hmm. Yes, sir. I
1: thought in the beginning,
4: God made a boundary for Adam. Don't touch that tree.
0: Okay. Okay, so you're pointing back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, where God says there's one commandment. Don't touch that tree, don't eat from that tree. Stay away from that tree, one commandment. And God set a boundary, to which his children immediately did
4: what?
6: (laughs) Crossed the boundary,
4: (laughs) it's okay. Uh, There was some famous saying, freedom within framework, that's really good in the business world, even in personal life. Freedom within framework.
0: Freedom within framework. So here's the frame, here's the boundary, here's the border. Play all you want inside that, but don't cross it. Okay? Interesting.
6: Yes? Can we be more specific in the definition of boundary? We can. Because I think that we all should have lines. Because Mm -hmm. if we don't have lines, anybody can do anything, say anything to us that they want. And we're just supposed to just take it. That's a great point. That is a great
0: point. All right, over here. There's a new parenting style, which is don't say no to your children. Um, I had a nephew born recently, and uh, that's something that I had an issue with. They'd say no, and a uh, mother would say, no, don't say no. You're supposed to encourage him to do other things. That's, that's a very difficult, uh, <laughs> difficult way, especially growing up in a household where the first thing I tell my parents when I get an A minus, they say, "Well, why didn't you get an A?" So it, it's, yeah, yeah. There's that that parenting style is is. In concept, things work really well on paper. Sometimes. <laughs> um, I was doing a pastoral visit several years ago, and uh, the the young man, who was in high school, had <clears throat> crossed the boundary, and. Um, While I'm trying to talk to the parents and and the child, um, the parents say, well, we don't want to stifle his creativity. And I say, well, maybe he could be more creative than making out at a basketball game in front of everyone. Um, That's not really creative. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, Boundaries for me is individualized, but only for me because I know
4: what messes my relationships is my own selfishness. Oh. So that's my boundary.
0: Yeah, see, you, you bring in that, that, that personal impetus. Why am I doing things? Why am I not doing things? Exactly, maybe, maybe two more. Right back here.
1: I think what he just said was interesting because in parenting, there was that whole movement of teaching your child to share with others. So if another child approached then you give them the toy, or you're you're being mean. But then several years later, they realized that the child that was taking from your child that had it first had become a very selfish child. And it wasn't always right. And they needed to learn and have some boundaries themselves. Yeah, good point, good point.
0: Uh, Several years ago, uh, when I was teaching high school Bible, um, I had the privilege of coaching a junior varsity team of basketball. And the very first year that I got to coach this team, I had coached teams in in the past, and so I was thankfully coming in fairly experienced, and I had also played uh, my freshman year of high school at the public school. Now, I knew I couldn't go to the level uh, that my coaches went in a public school because uh, it's just not the same system in private school, but I knew I had to have some boundaries. There were some guys who had played the year before who were terrible, and they weren't naturally terrible. They were terrible because they had absolutely no desire to get better. They were not practicing. And so I had the tryouts, and I told the guys at the tryouts, I'm going to be looking for those who are working hard because we are going to have a winning season. And you can decide whether you want everyone to play, which had been the rule, everyone gets equal time, or you can decide that if I practice harder, I get more play time. What do you want? And they all said, we all want... You know, uh, to, to win games, we, we all want to be able to, um, to have as much game time as we've earned. So I said, oh, okay, that's great. So we went through the tryouts, and the guy who had been uh, the center, the tall guy under, under the basket on, on defense the year before, he was confident that he was going to make it in. But he wasn't working hard at all. He was always the last guy down the court. And so I post the roster the next day for the year's team, and his name's not on it he comes into my office and literally in tears. He's a tough guy, but he was literally in tears. Why am I not on the team? I was on it last year. I said, how'd you guys do last year? (laughs) A few more tears. And um, (laughs) I said, I don't need you on my team. Now, normally I'm a really soft guy. You know me. I'm an extremely sensitive guy. I do not like confrontation. I'll talk my way out of it. But In coaching, my boundary was I didn't want guys to relax and know that they could do nothing and be part of the team. And so I said, I don't need you. I could do better with four guys on the court than having you on the court making it five. He says, why do you say that? I said, who's the last guy down the court every single time? How many times did you touch the ball? How many baskets did you make? I don't need you. And I said, but I'll make you a deal. I'll invite you to our first practice, but if any time you're the last guy down the court, if at any time you have a chance to score and you don't, if at any time you have a chance to defend and you don't, you're off. Okay, okay, it's a deal. He became one of my best players. He worked. He practiced outside of our team practice because he knew there was a boundary. If he didn't do what I asked him to do, he was off. His dream of being on the team, his dream of having a winning season was dependent upon him staying within the boundaries that I set. And by the way, they did have a winning season. We only lost one game by one point because those guys understood if you want to win, there's a certain level of work that you have to do. The other team's not going to give it to you. And so as I look at this and I look at parenting styles like we talked about, my wife and I get a little bit annoyed parents' kids who seem to have zero parenting, and their creativity leaves, leaves bruises and, and bumps on our kids' heads, okay? And so as I look at it, I know that there needs to be discipline, but I also struggle with something that some of you have struggled with as well. When your kids are young and little, and they're doing a behavior you don't want, And it's always in public. (laughs) I had no idea how much I would struggle with disciplining my own children. Sit them down in a timeout. I come to talk to them. They look up at you with these eyes that look like a Precious Moments doll. How are you supposed to scold that? If it wasn't for my wife, my kids would be horrible. (laughs) She's the backbone in our parenting family. She has a limit. She says, stand up. We're not going to allow that. Oh, yes. And so I play the part of the the very strong father. But inside, I'm caving. My wife says, no, there's consequences. If it was up to me, my kids would be spoiled, rotten kids. You wouldn't want to be around them. But my wife says there has to be consequences. And she's made, made me a better parent because I've given my kid consequences. This is going to be a difficult topic today, and before we step into these new boundaries that God is going to share with His children, God, the ultimate spiritual parent, has, in essence, adopted a bunch of children who have not been spiritually parented. These kids are wild. He's adopting them, He's bringing them in, and He's trying to help to parent a group of children, the children of Israel, who have not been parented for more than 430 years. He brings them into freedom, but they're still just runaway slaves. He brings them into the wilderness to try to train them. And his goal is to get them to the promised land as quick as possible. So he brings them into their experience And he brings them by this cloud, this pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, and leads them to the foothills of Mount Sinai. And in the plain, as almost two million of his children set up camp, God says, Okay, it's time for me to begin to explain what type of parent I am and what type of children I expect them to be. It has been two months since they left Egypt. Now I know some of your scriptures say three months. The challenge is, the scripture says it was on the third moon, which basically means two months plus one day. It's the very first day of the third month. So it's been two months plus one day. They're at Mount Sinai and God says, let me express to you who I am, as your heavenly Father. What type of child-rearing am I going to do? And it leads us into the very first text we're going to read through, which is Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to start out with verses 1 through 8. Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8. Go ahead and open up your Bibles or your Bible apps and follow along, highlight as needed. And would someone be willing to read to us those verses. Thank you.
1: On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord.
0: Okay. So here they are at the base of Mount Sinai. And God does something that shocks all the people. We don't see these eight verses as revolutionary because we've grown up with them. To have God say, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will bless you and we're in this together, I'm going to make a covenant with you, we do not see this as revolutionary because we grew up with it. But not a single Hebrew in that camp of nearly two million had ever heard anything like this before. Because no other God, none of the Egyptian gods, none of the Assyrian, the Canaanite, none of the other gods ever came to the people and said, can I make a deal with you? Let's make a deal. No God had ever done that before. Our God is different. He lowers himself and says, can we be partners? No other God in all time up to that moment, had ever come to the people and said, can we make a deal? Can we make a covenant? Now I use the, the word contract here because it's close to, to what it is, but it's a mess. Anybody want to speak to you? What does covenant really mean? How about back here? Pastor Dan.
6: I, uh, <clears throat> I'm surprised after my first response today that you'd let me speak again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Betsy said it was okay. In reality, <laughs> in self-defense, in the light of covenant, you don't have to establish a lot of you go this far, no farther, you do this, I will do this. You, you look at the history of the relationship that God entered into with his people yes. to go all the way from rescuing them to providing for them, uh, you can go back in Genesis and the covenant idea established with Abraham, yeah. and even in Exodus here, he he continually calls it my covenant. Yes. And we're not putting boundaries on God, Mm-mm. and God wouldn't put boundaries upon us if we remember who we are. Yes. It, when we are living by rules and boundaries, then we become the object of of the relationship. In this instance, and, and we can read it in this very story, he said, if you will be my people, I will be your God, and he gave evidence of that as you're going to come to with the pillar of cloud by uh, day, the pillar of fire by night, and all of the provisions he has made for them, there is a relationship that doesn't need boundaries. If you break the relationship, then okay, you've gone right up to the fence, and you can't go beyond that.
0: I I agree with you up until the boundary. Uh, and, I and we're gonna you would. we're gonna get yeah. to that to that today, but I think it's brilliant what you said because I want to prove your, your your beginning point. We are in Exodus 19. God has rescued them, done great signs trying to save Egypt as well. He not only brought them out of Egypt, but he also saved them through the Red Sea. He has provided water for them. He's provided food for them. And they don't have the Ten Commandments yet. The reason why I ask the question, would you date for two months before talking about your pet peeves? No, that's kind of one of the first conversations you have, isn't it? You got nothing else to talk about. You don't even know what you have in common until you talk about your common pet peeves. Oh, yeah, I hate that too. Yeah, don't do that. They have gone two months, and God has not yet established a law between them. He comes to the people now before they have a law, before they've kept or broken the law, and he says, can we have a relationship? He has saved them first, and then he gives them his list of pet peeves. Why is it that we as a people try to tell people to keep the rules so that you can be saved when every example of God in the Bible shows he saves you, and then he says, now here's the rules of our ongoing relationship. So in this Instance, we see God coming down to the people and saying, Look, I'm going to do something revolutionary in your life. First of all, you need to understand something. No, not simply had no other God said that before, but God's character is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So when when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes down and walks this earth, he says the same thing to his people. A phrase that we read past and don't realize how revolutionary it is. When Jesus went to people and said, follow me, do you realize how many people gasped who overheard that? No self-respecting rabbi would ever stoop to a level to ask a student to follow him. Every other rabbi would require you to fill out an application to come groveling on your feet and your knees before him and say, will you please accept me as one of your humble students? And the rabbi would say, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. I'll get back to you. No other rabbi ever came to a student and said, would you please follow me? Would you be be my student? Can I be your rabbi? Never happened. So in the same voice, God talks to his people and says, can we have a relationship? Can we have a covenant, an agreement between us of relationship that if we become partners in this, I'm going to do my part, and my part's huge if you do your part. Because in this covenant, it does say that there's something you have to do. Obey my commands. I've got some things that I need to tell you to do If you'll follow that, you will become for me my most prized possession, my treasure. And you will become for me a kingdom of priests. Now, you have to understand, he tells them this, and we translate it the best we can, but you understand there's no such thing as priest yet. That's established later. And so, the more literal translation is, you will be the people who show who God is to all the people around. You will be my greatest salespeople because they'll see how it's working in your life. How when you interact with God,
4: how it changes you for the better. Raul. I guess that is similar what you said to what Jesus practiced. Um, Constantly the Pharisees and the Sadducees would approach Him and the, 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 the constant question was about laws and keeping the law and boundaries. Yeah. And Jesus did not dismiss them, yeah. did not dismiss the, the importance of boundaries and the law. He said, actually, that is important. And it uh, and was so in the beginning, he used to say. Yeah. But he will, would always bathe the, the, the laws and, and, and the commandments with grace. And that's what attracted people to him. Grace. Yeah. In fact, Jesus states,
0: there, in, in that last day, there will be people that cry, Lord, Lord. And what's his response? You didn't obey me, or I didn't know you. We don't have a relationship. People who have been keeping the letter of the law, going out and feeding the homeless and clothing people and doing all the things, all the church programs, and your attendance record is off the charts. God said, who are you? because that's what saves you is knowing God and God knowing you.
1: Yes. I'm gonna really try to have a question this time. Is it because we're looking at it kind of black and white, but in their freedom, is it because I think parents, teachers observed with children, they emulate what they know and what they knew was Egypt. They didn't know how to have a, a relationship. I'm asking, I'm sorry, trying to ask, Uh, did he do this because they did not know how to have a relationship with him? Would they just, you know, we've seen it with kids, uh, saying what mom said or what dad said to the younger sibling, would they just not revert like slaves, heavy taskmasters in Egypt, they're gonna do the same within their sibling, are they going to try to have a relationship with God based on their previous experience because they don't know how? That's the question.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, I, I think that is the issue as I see it. If God is a relational God, and the most important thing is having a relationship, and God is trying to establish the ground rules for the relationship, I think that is the core issue, that they need to know, how can I have a relationship with God? And that's why most of us are here today, right? We're trying to know how can we have a stronger, solid, active, exciting relationship with God. We want to know God. And that's what he's setting up with a group of people that have very minimal idea of who he is. He starts out by saying, don't forget, remember all the things I just did. They have a really tough time remembering the things God did. We see this repeatedly in the coming story. God says, remember all these things I did? Well, I want to do a lot more. So if you'll be my people, let me do that. Let me be part of your life in a supernatural way." Yes, Pastor Dan?
6: Jesus was asked about the boundaries of a relationship. Have I got to do anything else, He was asked, Hmm. and He said, it's two commandments, love the Lord, with all your heart, soul, body, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. I have not before really contended with the issue, uh, as we're in Exodus 19, then we get to Exodus 20, Mm -hmm. as a statement of this far and no farther. Hmm. Because I've understood that the commandments, the first four, love to God. The last six love to each other, and as long as those relationships are maintained, there is no crossing of boundaries. Hmm. He also says, though, here's my challenge.
0: He also says you must be born again, and, and there's something you
6: have to cross. There's, I give, give him the mic again. Say, say it again. Say it again. The commandments do not create or provide the born-again. Exactly.
0: Exactly. But once you are born-again, once you are born-again, and,
6: and… Once you are born-again, you wouldn't break the commandments. I'm born-again, and I don't know if this is the right audience for me to
0: expose myself. <laughs> Although, pretty much in the Bible lab, I'm perfect. Um, <laughs> You don't want to see me Sunday through Friday, because I break the commandments, and it's not intentionally. I'm just a jerk when it comes to God. Sometimes um, I, I'm your classic male. You don't
4: want to be. I don't want to be.
0: You are correct.
4: Togar. Sometimes you see boundaries is so negative because it say you don't this, you don't do that, and it has been like that from you know the the tenth commandments. But actually, boundaries are things that parents or God saying to us, because they love us, this is the better things to do. (laughs) And the irony, if there is no boundaries, there is no freedom. The only way you can have freedom, because there's boundaries.
0: Hmm. Don't don't hate me, because when we read the next couple of verses, you're going to see I've kind of set you up. Can we read the next couple of verses, and and then I'm going to come to a a couple more comments here. Would someone be willing to read Exodus 19, verses 9 through 15? Verses 9 through 15.
5: The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits on the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations.
0: Other than the statement about sexual relations, uh, what other part would you like to take out of that passage of scripture? Just shout it out. What is something that when you look at the character of God? Now, we say in the Bible lab, our control is God is love. And any teaching, doctrine, any uh, presentation of God that's less than love, we've got to take another look at it because we don't understand it. And here in this passage right here, God sets up a boundary. A boundary around the mountain. He instructs Moses. And it's not simply a boundary that says, Look, if, if you can, can you please stay on the other side of the line? And if, if you do, just warn them and say, No, get back here, get back. God said no. What are the consequences for crossing the boundary? Death. And the reason why, commentators say, the reason why it says shoot them with arrows or stone them is because. You cannot get to that person or that animal without crossing the barrier yourself and you are a person who just passed the boundary yourself. So, you are to utilize capital punishment for any man or beast that crosses that boundary. God's dead serious here. What do you think is going on here? Why would God why would God set up a boundary and and set up capital punishment. I, this is one of the parts of Scripture that we struggle with. The reason why some people see the God of the Old Testament as different than the God of the New Testament. You have a comment.
5: So, so then if we were raised this way, you know, you can't do this because it's the Sabbath. You can't wear this because you're in church. You can't say, you can't. How do we then back that up and say God is love without breaking all those rules?
0: It's interesting that you should ask the question because some of your statements at the beginning is that you're dealing with a group of students that have not been parented. And so you yourself have had to set up some boundaries that are stricter than you would naturally set up had the students come in disciplined. Over here, Nancy.
5: I can't think of any other way that God could teach to a completely untrained rabble group respect hmm. and show boundary. How, how could he teach respect for the great God of the universe without taking some serious boundaries? I don't think that that is comparable to the boundaries that we may set for our children about their behavior hmm. on Sabbath. Yeah. I, I don't find it a, same, a similar comparison Uh, as to the boundaries that he needed to establish Hmm. with this untrained crowd.
0: Yeah, a very interesting comment. Yeah, David.
2: You know, I listened last evening to your recording from Wednesday.
0: Our recording.
2: Yes, and I wanted to... uh, So I was thinking about it. So I wanted to find a book in my library called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Hmm. Uh, And he makes a point, and he says... The holiness of God is just on a completely different level that we can understand. He says we tend to think of the most holy person we know and then try to add 20% to that or 50%, um, (laughs) which doesn't work. Um, But he had a soundbite that I just would like to share real quick, if you'll let me. Um, And he says, since God's first concern for his universe is its moral health, that is its holiness, whatever is contrary to this is necessarily under his eternal displeasure. To preserve his creation, God must destroy whatever would destroy it. When he arises to put down iniquity and save the world from irreparable moral collapse, he is said to be angry. But every every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been a holy act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of the creation are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates iniquity as a mother hates the polio that takes the life of her child. Mm.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, David, for taking us to depth there. I love that. Over here.
2: Um, Going back to the issue of relationship that the Lord is trying to pursue with us, I wonder to what extent the foundation of that relationship has to do what Exodus 19 verse 5 says, Now therefore... If you will indeed obey, I wonder if obedience is at the foundation of the relationship that God wants to have with us.
0: Hmm. The question that we have to... I, I love it. I love what you just said, because we're going to have to go there next week, because next week we're looking at Exodus 20, the actual law. What does the law say about God, the character of God? Why would He set up a law that we have to obey? And next week, I'll give you a little teaser. We explain what is it about obedience that is different between God and us than it is between mankind. There is something different, something amazingly different that answers the question with the answer, God is love. And so obedience is important. The question is, why would God demand obedience? What would possibly happen if you were disobedient? What are the consequences? We're gonna deal all next week with that. Go ahead. 18, okay.
4: I just uh, realized long time ago that uh, we as human beings, uh, our human condition is always to go to sin Mm -hmm. because we are imperfect. We're still in this world. So I understood that the Old Testament was mostly for us to understand Today, that all what they did with the sacrifices and all that, you know, trying to reach to God and please God, they could have never, never, never accomplished. Hmm. Because the lesson that God wants us to understand is that without a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, like the perfect lamb, which was Jesus Christ, we cannot get to God we cannot please God we cannot obey him so all he wants us to do is that we need him every day that's why we got to go on our knees and make this our first work of the day be before his feet and say Lord I am nothing without you I need you today I need my relationship with you I need to you to lead me to the right path because I cannot It's it's the only thing I can... Yeah,
0: that's profound. That's profound. We are going to spend almost the entire time unpacking that next week. So I invite you to not only come next week, but I see a few chairs. We can still fill a few more seats here. Uh, It will be life-changing as you look at the law. What is God saying with this obedience? We're going to go down here, and then we're going to follow up there.
4: If my parenting style is... um like Eli's, would I be, or put another way, if my parenting style is laissez am I creating the possibility that Eli created mm-hmm. for the destruction of his himself and his children?
0: Yeah, Eli for, for those of you who need a refresher, he had two children, Hophni and Phineas mm-hmm. and they did not have respect for God, and it's difficult to translate exactly what they did, but within church, within the temple, they were extremely disrespectful to God. So the question is, okay, there's obviously some boundaries here because Hophni and Phinehas didn't make it out alive.
4: Was he Lazaphir? Was, was, was Eli Lazaphir's parent?
0: The belief by most commentators is that the problem with Hophni and Phinehas was that they had not been taught respect of God by their parents. And that's why Samuel was sent as a boy, as a messenger, to wake up Eli and say, please, take it serious. God is warning. It's interesting to look here in this situation. God warns the people about this boundary, not once. But later on, verse 21, uh, God calls Moses up to the mountain again. There's probably six trips up and down, three round trips, possibly four, depending on how you read verse 9, round trips up this mountain. Now, <laughs> I, I could probably climb up once and down uh, and then be like, okay, I, I got my aerobics in, look at my watch. Yes, got my steps. Um, <laughs> three round trips minimum, possibly four. God calls Moses up again just to send him back to say, by the way, warn him again. Tell him not to cross that boundary. It's that important to God. God is a warning God. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths. Don't make me do this. So God is showing. He's demonstrating. I'll warn. warn, warn. I don't want to do this. But I have to, in some way, set up a boundary. We're going to explain this next week. All right, last comment right here.
3: I think uh, God set all this up that sounds so horrifying to us today because he had cultural sensitivity. And in their culture, um, at that time, if you were the God-King Pharaoh, uh, you expected on pain of death... The people not to approach into your presence unless invited. And in some cultures, even if, if you walked into the shadow of the chief or the ruler, you were killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in uh, ancient Hawaiian culture, that yeah. was if you walked into the shadow of the chief, you were killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the people then had this concept that someone who was a great divine figure would, uh, they would give their deference in this way. And if uh, God did not insist on the same thing, in their minds, he would have been less than Pharaoh. And then they would have been afraid of Pharaoh and thinking that God couldn't possibly save them because he was less than Pharaoh.
0: Thank you so much. That's brilliant. That's brilliant because you're right on. Because as theologians have looked at the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, where mankind sees God changing, the reality is that mankind has changed, and God will parent you according to how He can parent you in the best possible way for where you are culturally, your understanding of theology, and so People have asked the question, why was God seemingly so harsh then, but he's so relaxed now? It's easy if you're a parent. Those of you who have grown children, are you still checking in? Are you in bed? Do, do not get up in the middle of the night. Get back in bed or you're grounded. What are you doing? You're going out on a date. I know you're 30 years old, but be back by 9 and I'm going to call you and I'm going to be checking your phone to make sure where you are and that the car's not, not parked at the end of a cul-de-sac. Do you parent your adult children different than you parent your small children? Yes. Why? Because your children have developed. They have grown. They have changed in their understanding of the world around. And in this moment, it seems like God is meeting them where they're at and using the the understanding of consequences so that they will begin the steps into relationship. The beautiful thing is when Moses first comes down and says, God's got a plan. He wants to have a relationship with you. How do the people respond? Absolutely, yeah, we, we did see what he did in Egypt. We want more of that. Moses comes down, shares it with them, and the idiom that, that we miss, is an old Hebrew idiom that we translate as, and Moses told them, uh, it actually is, and Moses put it to their face. He puts it right in their face. God's going to do this. We're, we have a chance to be in relationship with him, but there's a boundary. And as we get to know God, we'll get to know the reasoning for this boundary, and we will understand. The beautiful thing is in this story It obviously was the consequence that people needed because there is not a single record within the story of anyone crossing the boundary. They stayed where God needed them to stay. Boy, I warned you, this was going to be an intense one. And I pray that sometime during this conversation that God spoke directly to you to help you understand what he wants in his relationship with you. Now, episode 15, many people, in fact, I'm just going to tell you, the vast majority of requests, in fact, very um, persistent (laughs) requests, have come from my community saying, when will this next episode be posted? Because by far, it was one of the favorite sessions of the Bible lab. It's taking a look at the Ten Commandments, but you, I guarantee, you will never, ever look at the Ten Commandments the same way again. And I'm not going to tease it. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm telling you, if you listen to episode 15, your life is going to change. So definitely come back and take a listen to episode 15 and prepare yourself for a conversation that can only come from the Bible Lab. We'll see
1: you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you are planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at infothebible at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.